Father, we thank you that we can gather like this to worship you, to be together as believers, to share, as we share faith in you together. Thank you for giving us your word that instructs us and leads us to you. Uh, this morning, as your word is proclaimed, that we could again um, understand more of your ways and you would open our eyes and our ears that we can, can know you and understand you and what your will is for us. Pray you bless Brother John, just give him understanding, give him Give him the words to speak that that your message would be clear to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone, especially welcome to the visitors. Always glad when you join us to worship. I want to thank all of you who pray for us and our families in the time leading up to Sunday like this, um, possibly the more we need it, the more we feel it. So I do want to thank you for that. Um, don't be scared to send a text regarding that as well. We always appreciate those. Today we want to look at the account of creation, and we're going to start off with the children. So children, I need your help here. Uh, where in the Bible do we read about the account of creation? Genesis. Genesis thank you. And who, who did the creating? God did, thank you. All right, now let's, let's go over the days of creation. What did God create on the first day? On the very first day. Created light, yep, I heard a couple of you say it. How about the second day? did God create on the second day? Somebody say it. We can up the age a bit if we have to here. Second day of creation. Right, I have the sky and the water, that's correct. Divided them. Third day? You're a little ahead. Over here, I heard one dry land and the, and the seas and also the plants. The fourth day. Adults? Thank you. Fifth day? Fish and the birds, that's correct. And the sixth day. Thank you, John. And what did he say after each day? That's good. And what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. Uh, interesting enough, our Sunday school touched on that. Thank you. So the book of Genesis, as we know, is a book of beginnings and a book of firsts. The word Genesis means beginning. I've always been curious. Did they call it Genesis because it meant beginning, or did they say Genesis means beginning because it is Genesis? I'm not sure anyway. Um, but as we said, it describes the creation of the earth. It tells of the creation, later the fall of man. It tells of the serpent introducing man to sin, of man falling to that sin and the curse that followed that. It introduces God's plan of redemption, tells us of the first marriage, the first family, also of the first murder, man's decline into sin, 
God's judgment on sinful man with a worldwide flood, the dispersion of man across the world at that time at the Tower of Babel, the beginning of languages, God's promises to Abraham, his descendants, God establishing the nation of Israel, the first forms of government, Israel's journey to Egypt and their growth as a nation there, and it ends at the death of Joseph. And altogether, the book of Genesis covers almost 2,400 years of history, more than the rest of the Bible combined. So there's a lot in there, and we won't go there today, but it's just very interesting there. Until the last couple hundred years, the accounts in Genesis and the Bible as a whole were more or less looked at as an accurate account of world history, including the very first event of God as the creator of everything. The Gutenberg Bible, printed in the 1450s, was the first major book to be printed with the new printing press that they had come up with. There's a lot of effort that went into the printing process, and they wanted to print something very important, so they picked what was considered the most important book, and they printed the Bible. And even today, the Bible continues, in spite of all its opposition, to sell more than 100 million copies a year, one of the uh, best-selling books I think we could probably say for hundreds of years running. The Bible still continues to be a top seller. Early American schools used the Bible as their primary curriculum. In fact, one of the reasons that early schools were formed was to teach children so they could read from the Bible. And it was hoped that with a knowledge of the Bible, they could avoid some of the repeat of the evils that they had left behind in Europe when they settled over here. So that was one of their primary reasons to teach children to read is to read the Bible and to gain the values therein and hopefully to have a better society. Laws were actually passed requiring schools to teach from and about the Bible. And the Bible was also used and trusted as a basis for science. So what has happened to bring us to where we are today? Um, a survey in July of this year has shown that only one in five of adult Americans believe the Bible is the literal word of God. And even more scary, that is down from one in four of only five years ago. And I did double check these and here I can find those are correct. And uh, I would wonder if even one in five, obviously we know not one in five don't take all its teaching literally. Uh, one in three view it as simply a book of legends and fables and half of people view it as having some truth but say it should not all be taken literally. And a more disturbing study says that only one in 25 of Generation Z, which I believe are those in their early teens through late 20s, believe the Bible as it's written. So we see a steady decline in our, our world as a whole believing the Bible as it's written. So why is this? Obviously a number of reasons. I'm gonna look at a couple of them today through the account of creation. If you would, turn with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1. And I want to read the account, even though I know we could probably, most of us could almost say it by heart, although it sounds like a little brush-up wouldn't be a bad idea either way. Now, Chad, I do have the, the growly voice syndrome this morning, so remember me in that too. Stand with me, if you would, while we read Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. God said, let there be a, a firmament in the, of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. It was so. God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, The waters above the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fr fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be signs for, let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And children, what were those two lights? What was the great light for the day? The sun. And how about the lesser one for the night? The moon, thank you. And would the lesser one work without the greater one? No, it would not, thank you. And he made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for life, for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Thank you. You can be seated.
So if we look through this, um, we see a number of things. Starting in the very first verse, it says, in the beginning. And I have to ask, the beginning of what? And I think it's the beginning of time as we know it. Um, the very first thing God did, I believe, was actually start the clock of time rolling. Um, and that clock will continue until one day God will stop that clock again. And he will stop it instantly without warning. And there will be no chance to complete what hasn't been done already. And time will end, I believe, as abruptly as it began. So if you think about that, um, through some of this today, just allow your mind to wander a little bit. Um, how, how would it be to start time? Um, when there was no time, all of a sudden time began. Um, anyway, that's, that's God's realm. Uh, in verse, verses 3 to 5, God created light and darkness, which define the first full day. As we talk about time, I think it's very important to see that God created the literal 24-hour, as we know, the light and dark cycle. Uh, one day, one night, as we know it here. And there are those that would say that God took longer or shorter than six literal days for creation. And unfortunately, that's already not taking him at his word. They're not very far into it, and they're already doubting his word. God very distinctly refers to each day individually and what he did on that day. He also refers to the evening and the morning. Um, and we look at a day as morning and evening. And God has it backwards here. The Jews continue to have that reversed. Their Sabbath began on, in the evening and ended the following evening. So I don't know if there's significance in that or not. Um, but God refers to the evening and the morning as one day. Now, did God need six days? Um, I think if he could cram it in six days, he could have probably done it in six seconds as well. I don't think that's the point. Um, he spoke everything into being with just a word. And six, day, six days, um, maybe he took more time, if we want to call it that. I know God's not limited to time. I find it interesting in verse 16, it says that he made the stars also. Uh, almost he said, okay, yeah, let's, let's have some stars too. And he chucked a couple of them out there and they stayed. That's, that's the impression that we're given in, that, in this verse here. But for those of you that have ever been to one of these planetariums or something and have seen uh, the vastness of the universe, and we went through one recently here again, and they take you out in, in multiples of 10, and it just continues to go and go and go and go. And as our technology increases, we're only beginning to see the incredible vastness of the universe and what that little phrase includes he created the stars also interesting enough um, when God created the stars he also created the light from those stars to have already reached the earth many stars are so far away that even in the last 6,000 years um, traveling at the speed of light their light would not have reached us so he created not only the stars out there but also stretched that light out between us and them so we could appreciate them. Very interesting as well. Back to the six days, we see God created things in an orderly fashion throughout the week. Um, he created light first, and then water and dry land before the plants, uh, plants before the animals, and then he created man last. We know Adam could not have survived without dry land. The plants couldn't have survived without light and water. So I believe God is 
created things in that particular order on those six days um, as a sign that he is a God of order. And then he established the seventh day also as a, an example to man as a day of rest. Like I say, I found it very interesting this morning, at least in the men's class, our discussion kind of went down the, the road of, of uh, the day of rest. And I have here, you know, throughout history, which has been mentioned already, uh, man has largely followed the seven-day week, although there have been numerous attempts to change that, uh, most typically to a 10-day week, or else to simply eliminate days off altogether. And these experiments were largely abandoned because at the end of the test period, uh, negative effects on family, worker morale, and the fact that overall productivity actually decreased instead of increasing. Although one thing, I think there would be more overtime in a 10-day week than a, than a five-day week, possibly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that would be enough to offset the, the morale or not. So man was created with the need to rest every seventh day. And that is actually a, like we talked about, a creation principle. Something that God set in place at the beginning, and he created man to need that, to actually function with that. So if you're interested at all, Google a seven or 10 day week and there's a lot of interesting examples given on there of failed attempts where that did not work. So back to verse one, uh, God was already there, we know when the beginning began and we could ask where did God come from? Did someone or something create God? And if so, um, you know, who was that person or what was that being? And the question would continue on back to finally we have to realize, well, there had to be uh, something or someone that just simply always existed. And God, as we know, is that infinite being who has always been and always will be. And our finite minds cannot comprehend that. We are bound by the limits of time. We can kind of stretch our minds to imagine that, but we simply cannot fit God and his existence into our box of earthly understanding. Um, same way goes for you know how far does space go and when space ends, what's beyond that? Um, I don't think it hurts to ask those questions, but I think we have to remember that those are things that we cannot as humans fully comprehend. But just because we don't understand them doesn't mean they aren't true. I think that's important as well. So in order for us to believe that God is who he says he is and has the power to do what he says he does, what he does, we have to realize that there are, are, that there are aspects of him that we cannot fully comprehend in this life. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12 says, For now we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know, just as also I am known. So it kind of gives a picture of, and different translations say a mirror, whatever, um, looking through a dirty window or a, a dirty mirror, if you please. And the, what we see on the other side um, is, is very distorted, or the mirror is cracked, let's say, and we're not getting a full picture of what's really going on. It's very difficult to get a full understanding of what's going on. But I look forward to that day as it says, someday we'll know everything that we do not know, just as God does. If we think back to um, the serpent's temptation to Eve in the garden, that's what he was tempting her with. That knowledge to know as gods. That knowledge that was never intended for man to know while we are still here on this earth. So back to verse 1 again, um, God created the heaven and earth, a uh, simple statement, we've heard that all our lives probably, but looking at the word created, the definition is to cause something new to exist, or simply to cause to exist or bring into existence, 
And my dictionary actually uses the phrase, God created the heaven and the earth, as an example of that definition. As we all know, like we said, the literal account of God creating the world in six 24-hour days has been under attack for many years. Many churches today no longer look at creation as a primary doctrine, primary being something that's foundational, non-refutable. Um, other examples would be the virgin birth, uh, salvation through Christ's death, stuff like that. Instead, it's looked at more as a secondary doctrine, one that's open to possibly some interpretation. So why is the doctrine of creation so important? And I think the answer is that the alternative is so dangerous. Um, that the theory of evolution has already taken over our schools, general society, as being the accepted way to explain how we arrived here. There's different versions of evolution, the most common one being the naturalistic evolution that says that everything started at, with a Big Bang or something like that, and somehow life began from nothing, and over billions and billions of years, life forms evolved from tiny specks of bacteria, and eventually they formed you and me. And if that doesn't quite make sense, if something's lacking, we just add a few billion years and somehow it'll all figure itself out. So basically, if you take nothing and you add nobody, you end up with everything. And we smile at that, and that's a little oversimplified, but that is the long and short of it. Uh, everything was formed entirely by chance and mutations. A mutation is a change from normal, and mutations, as we know, are rarely good. Most time they're negative, not positive. Um, we might think that a two-headed calf or something would be an improvement, but I think any of those that have had that sort of thing can say that that's not, it's not an improvement. The animal rarely survives with an improvement like that. Uh, so sometimes the real world simply tells us that that is a very impossible uh, method. Um, when those alterations come, which those alterations are the basis of evolution, they rarely, if ever, add any benefit. In fact, almost always um, would be the cause of that creature's demise. So Charles Darwin published his theory, theory of evolution, and he wrote a book entitled On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life very long title. Wrote that back in the middle 1800s, and by the way, we rarely see the last half of that title, the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Um, that is deemed a little, a little politically incorrect here to even give that impression, <clears throat> but to me it's actually a bit chilling to see that he actually included that aspect right from the beginning, not just a positive means of natural selection, but also then um, giving the impression that only those favored races are intended to continue and all others would not. Um, we'll look at that just a bit more in a bit here. In his book, Darwin introduces the theory of the survival of the fittest. We've all heard that term. The idea that the good and survive, they reproduce, and the weak die off. That simple life forms will somehow evolve into more complex life forms. We've got to remember that this was before the time of DNA and the code of life that DNA is written into every cell. And we know that that is not possible. Species cannot change into other species. Plants cannot become fish. Fish cannot become birds. Birds cannot become horses. God uses the phrase very clearly after his kind seven times while he created 
those different species, bird, fish, and animals. And they were not and cannot intermingle their DNA and they cannot become halfway in between. They can within their kind, but only within their kind, not with other kinds. And the DNA supports that. So Darwin based his theory on external appearances alone. And if that theory, if that theory were to be introduced today, it would be instantly disproven by science. Um, we know there are trillions of cells in an animal or a person, and the amount of information on each cell would fill a half a million pages. So the amount of information that even just one, one cell of us would have all that information there. And that information would have to randomly line itself up in such a way not only to produce more cells like itself, but with Darwin's theory to produce better cells, passing on information that never existed in the first place. So imagine that. And there's plenty of examples in nature that show the impossibility of this happening. Um, for example, how many chances did it take for a caterpillar to form a cocoon and then form a butterfly? Um, how did it ever survive all those failed attempts before going extinct? And remember, the caterpillar, assuming this would be possible, um, he wasn't trying to form a butterfly. He just happened to form a cocoon one day and then happened to come out as a butterfly, uh, strictly by chance. And again, not because he wanted to, but just by chance. And he could have just easily emerged as a fish or as an apple or as a flower, or more likely went extinct trying um, and failing. So, you know, just stuff like that. Now again, for the children, um, Who likes Legos? Maybe adults too, okay. I used to spend a lot of time building things with Legos and now my daughters do as well. I got this set when I was a, a small boy so it's not quite a billion years old but it's getting closer. Um, so if I just let this box sit, um, will it eventually build the fire truck here? No? What if I shake it? If I shake it long enough, um, if we just shake this for a while, I, I can open it up and all I see are many pieces. They haven't come together. Um, now if I would shake this for billions of years, we could just keep shaking and eventually we open it and um, wouldn't you know, fire truck pops out. Is that what happens? If I shake it long enough, does it make a fire truck? Maybe. No. So if you look at this, what's the chance that those Legos all came together in just the right way to form this fire truck? Is that likely? Zero? Okay. Is it much more likely that somebody spent a little bit of time building this? Is that more likely? And that is, that would be the truth. And I won't take credit for that. I had, I had willing volunteers to do that for me. So something as simple as this fire truck. Um, leaving aside the fact that what even made the Lego blocks in the first place, but to actually make a fire truck just randomly, we know that that's not even possible. Uh, more examples from around us. If we were slightly closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If we were farther away, we'd all freeze. And we know that in the summer and the winter, our position changes ever so slightly 
and that's enough to make you know 100 degree difference in temperature and so what great luck you know if you think about it that we happen to be just the right distance away not two winters away or it would never even thaw um, how many life forms and how many earths failed before one happened to have it just right um, or think of the air just breathing air um, it's just the right amount of mixture of gases to sustain life what are the odds of air evolving at just the right rate to be breathable by living things who also happen to evolve and at the same time they needed air and air was there um, lucky the air didn't evolve 10 minutes later they'd have suffocated you know so we think about simple things like that and we say um, it's just absurd absurd to even think of evolution and man has tried some experiments to prove or disprove chance and one of them was if a million monkeys sat at a million typewriters, how long would it take for them to just, ran and they're just there hammering away, to randomly type, say, Psalm 23, something like that. And obviously there's no real way of trying that, so um, teachers, you might be able to answer, how long does it take a bunch of monkeys to come up with something here? <laughs> Sorry. Um, so they tried this experiment with five million um, computer monkeys running at computer speed. So they took five million virtual monkeys and they started this process of random things going and that, you know, I don't know how many tries per second it was, but after months and months, they had generated certain lines of what they were trying to, but were never able to actually get the entire text, uh, whether it was Psalms 23 or something like that. I think it might have actually been something like Shakespeare or something they were trying to get. But they finally gave up because even with you know, it just going incredibly fast, the, 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 um, the amount of chance taken to actually get something that legible, readable, um, was infinite. And they already had these typewriters and monkeys, and we think of even, you know, the absurdity of the universe forming and then first forming these monkeys and typewriters for them to even try and do what they were doing anyway. You get the point. Um, we think of eclipse of the sun, happened a few years ago, uh, very predictable. Um, order and complexity never arrive spontaneously. Um, how many times in our lives does a total lack of planning and foresight produce great results? Um, through no effort on our part, great things happen. Um, it doesn't happen in my life. As hard as we do try um, to be orderly, uh, our days still fall apart. We know the universe is a billion, trillion times more complex than our daily schedules. So why is this impossible of theory of evolution held on so strongly. It seemed that any intelligent person would be forced to see that an orderly universe was put in motion by an orderly intelligent being, that the complexity of everything around us couldn't have just randomly happened by chance. And in fact, Albert Einstein did say just that. We know that he was a genius at solving complex mathematical formulas and even predicting the location of how, when, and where the sun, moon, and stars would be at certain times back before that was commonly known. Um, he was able to compute and figure that out and predict how things would happen. He made the statement that the universe displays such a level of order that it surpasses all human involvement. Now Einstein was a Jew, but did not claim to be religious. But as an intelligent, logical person, he believed there had to be a master designer for the things he saw around him. <coughs> At first, he believed in God as the creator, but he struggled to understand the character of God. 
did not understand how a good designer could allow evil to wreck his design. He eventually concluded that humans are just complex, wind-up toys with no responsibility for their action, and that someone had just simply wound them up, let them go, and so if humans aren't responsible for evil, then God must be. If God's responsible for evil, then he can't be good. He finally concluded that if God is responsible for neither good nor evil, but is simply a non-personal, rational force that runs everything. So everything happens. He couldn't quite just say by chance because he was too smart. To, he said, there's no way. But he took God, God's love, God's character out of the equation and said, God's just here to make sure the fire truck goes together as it should. And beyond that, that's, that's the extent of his involvement in people's lives. So the answer of why is God taken out of the picture? Why is evolution so popular is it does take God out of the picture. Um, if man is just another animal that simply evolved to the point we are today, then we're no different from any other plant, animal, or rock out there. We have simply chance to evolve further and faster than a plant or an animal. And if we just evolved from other species, then we're simply brothers or cousins to everything else out there. The whole animal rightist rightis movement comes from this. Um, we have no rights superior to animals because they are simply us, not yet as far evolved. And a person associated with PETA, which the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, uh, was quoted as saying, as a rat, is as a dog, is as a horse, is as a man. So implying that the only difference is to the degree, degree of which we have evolved. We are the same as a rat or as a dog or whatever. Which brings the question, if it's all the same, then there's not much difference between a rat and a man. And if one becomes a pest that must be exterminated, then why not exterminate the other as well? In a real life example, we know um, the millions of people that Hitler killed during the Holocaust. His goal was to pr pr produce a superior or a master race of people by speeding up the evolutionary process. He didn't wait billions of years for us to get it right. So he took the survival of the fittest that he learned from Darwin and he attempted to speed that up by eliminating those he felt were inferior and forming clinics and stuff where he promoted promotion, uh, production of children born to what he called racially superior parents. So on the one hand, he was eliminating uh, a race he felt was not superior, races, multiple races, on the other hand, he was actually um, trying to do what we do today with animals. We mix and match until we hope we get the traits that we want, which basically he was putting himself in the position of God. And he was removing God from the picture of putting himself in that position. And yeah, obviously we know that's not right. Now, the average person doesn't care much or think about maybe um, where everything around him came from but the average person does have a worry about the consequences for our actions. If man is just an animal, then, he, then we're not responsible for what we do. There is no right or wrong, there is no sin, and therefore no judgment or consequences for our actions. Life would have no morals and no meaning. We would not have to answer for our actions any more than our dog does. Um, Darwin, we know, wanted to escape God. I did not do a lot of research into his personal life, but I am told um, that Darwin lived a life that he knew God would not approve of. And so he invented a way to un-God God, if we can say that, um, to take away God's power as creator of the universe, 
also takes away his authority as the judge of the universe and consequently the judge of Darwin himself. And some have tried to soften this hard view of evolution by trying to include God somehow in the process. This is called theistic evolution or progressive creationism. It basically says that God helped the natural process. That he kind of gave it this kickstart and then he continued to kind of lend a hand along the way and keep things going the right direction and they use that to take some of the ridiculousness out of total chance. And this means the six days of creation would instead have taken millions of years to complete. So God was there during creation, but he allowed the process to happen. And one simple problem was that when God was finished, he said it was good. We read that very consistently throughout Genesis 1. God did something, said it was good. If he allowed evolution to take its course, then evolution only happens by the strong continuing and the weak dying. And often the strong are the cause of the weak dying. And therefore, creation would have included millions of years of death after which God would say, this is good. And that alone totally um, goes against the character of God in saying that death is a good thing. And so the whole idea of God allowing death to be his, his method of creation would certainly go against the idea of what he says here is very good. Um, so I think we can, you know, pretty much say that's, that's a, yeah, it, it, it's a compromise that doesn't work. Furthermore, this view implies that God did not have the ability or power to create things on its, by, of himself. He needed to rely on natural process. It implies even that God himself might still be a work in process, that God himself is not even complete yet. And in short, this viewpoint only insults God's sovereignty to an almost, I believe, greater degree than keeping him out of it entirely. If God is simply a product of creation as well, it's almost, in my opinion, worse than saying there is no God. So just to wrap up ideas of the wrong, of the wrong ideas that evolution brings, uh, even when someone starts to doubt creation, evolution gives the wrong view of man. Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we're no longer just dust, randomly formed matter, but an eternal soul that is made in the image of God. And God it says that in Genesis here, Genesis 1.26. God said, let's make man in our own image, in our likeness. And they did that. Evolution has no need of a savior, no accountability, and of course, no sin. If there is no God, there are no absolutes, and therefore, there is no right and wrong. There is no moral compass to follow, no judgment, no eternity. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Hebrews 9.27, For it is a point unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. The word redemption, as we know, means to buy back. Um, I know somebody that was not from New York visited and saw all these redemption centers, and they wondered, what, what are these? And I said, no, that's, that's not not missions here or anything it's 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 just simply buying back and so the idea of redemption is for someone to buy back something and we know if we were never created or owned by God in the first place it'd be impossible for him to buy us back there'd be no no uh, reason for redemption because we were never gods in the first place so the whole idea of redemption relies on the principle of creation of God making us in the first place to support it Evolution calls into question the entire Bible. If we doubt the very first verse in the Bible, 
Why should we trust the rest? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Evolution removes the meaning from life. If we were randomly, accidentally formed, then what's the purpose of us being here? Life is pointless except for the pleasure I am able to get out of it. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 says, For we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And evolution uh, confuses ethics. Um, remember a number of years ago, uh, there was quite an uproar over this lion that was killed by a professional hunter, Cecil the Lion. You guys remember that at all? It's been a while back. There was this huge uproar over this lion that was killed and it made the news. Um, but yet each day, there's approximately 125,000 abortions being performed. And I will say there's little website counters you can go on and the numbers just keep clicking. So where does that leave us today? Um, I assume we all believe in creation. So maybe this was largely unnecessary, although I think it's a good reminder. But I, th I found it very helpful to understand a little better the whys behind evolution. The reason why people, um, seemingly intelligent people, consciously or unconsciously, cling to the idea of evolution. And ultimately, the creation story is not about creation itself, but about a God. And people who believe or reject, or reject creation do so because they choose to believe or reject God himself. God lays a foundation for the rest of mankind's existence in the creation account and a correct belief of how mankind started is necessary in order to understand how it continues through this life and on into eternity. So let's remember that something as basic as creation, um, something that we almost take for granted in some ways, um, the, the depth of meaning behind that, the significance of that, the importance of that um, as being part of the whole redemption process, part of the whole salvation process. And so let's remember to defend that if possible. Um, if something comes up, if someone mentions something, are we with, you know, discretion, of course, um, are we willing to stand up and defend that? and to say, no, I believe that I am created by God for a purpose. Let's stand for prayer. God in heaven, we bow before you now in reverence to your greatness and holiness. We look at how big you are and all you've done. We're reminded again of how small and significant we are, and yet you care for us and love each of us individually. You've created each of us and know everything there is to know about us, you know, the number of hairs on each of our heads. You know us better than we even know ourselves. We want to honor and praise you for all that you are and all that you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.